Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about wild rice. Yes. Um, and this was a really fascinating one to learn about. Yeah. And Lauren and I were discussing it earlier. And I don't think... I've ever had true wild rice. I've had something labeled as wild rice, but I don't think it was wild rice. Yeah, I'm questioning now, and I, I'm i honestly not sure. I know that certainly um, in the late 80s, early 90s, I ate a number of products that were labeled wild rice. Um, one or two of them might have been uh, like traditional, actual wild rice. I suspect a lot of it was cultivated um, and maybe not even the same species that we're talking about. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, well, some of you do. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily about what we've had. But <laughs> well, well, if you did, I'd be impressed. I mean, a little bit frightened. A little but nervous. But... Yeah, but sure. Yeah, yeah, let us know about that. Um <laughs> But <laughs> several of you have written in about wild rice. Um, 
We previously read a note from Cecilia about it. And Kelly wrote, it's an important part of indigenous foodways, especially around the Great Lakes, and it's a good holiday season topic. Sean Sherman is a native chef who goes by the Sioux Chef working in the Twin Cities to promote indigenous ingredients and recipes. He'd be a great person to talk to about wild rice. Which, thank you, as always, for resources. We love that. Yes, yes. Yes, um, and we did check it out, and it was very informative and, and a lot of cool stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And right. Uh, uh, Sean Sherman, um, uh, the sous chef. Yes. S-I-O-U-X. Sous chef. Yeah. Uh, a great, great human person. Very knowledgeable. Very um, personable in his videos. Um, oh, gosh. And I would love to get back to what? Interviewing humans? I know. Oh, someday. 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 <laughs> Um, in the meantime, you can see our past episode on rice, the one that nearly broke my brain. Yep, but uh, but that is not what we're talking about today. And uh, speaking of, does this bring us to our question? Why, yes, I think it does. Wild rice. What is it? Well, uh, wild rice is the common English language term for a few species of a of a type of grain that looks a bit like other grains that are called rice, but um, but usually longer and skinnier, um, and with their skin still attached, uh, green to tan to brown when raw, generally when cooked, uh, dark brown with the skin split to reveal the, the, the creamy grain inside. Um, uh, the skin is a little bit chewy, the grain is soft, uh, the flavor tends to be nuttier and a little savory, um, can be somewhat smoky depending on how it's produced. Uh, it, it sounds to me, and I'm like craving this thing that I'm not sure I've ever had, but it just sounds like, like, like fall in a bowl. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I, oh. The texture sounds so interesting to me too. I, uh, I want it. I want it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm going to go order <laughs> some wild rice like after we finish this episode. Anyway. Um, yeah. The term wild rice is a bit of a misnomer though. Uh, it's not closely related to other grains that we call rice, which are in the genus Ariza. Um, wild rice species are in the genus Zizania, which is more closely related to corn. Um, all are members of the grass family, um, Poaceae though. And I would also argue that that wild rice isn't truly wild as such. Um, although it is traditionally allowed to grow naturally, it's been carefully tended and upkept for thousands of years. Though that's not the same thing as cultivation. It's more like more like cooperation, I'd say. And it is also now cultivated in some places. Uh, more about all of that. Um, uh, throughout most of this episode. But for now, um, three species of Zizania are native to North America. Um, one is from the Great Lakes region, one from the Atlantic and Gulf Coasts, and one from Central Texas. All are tall, semi-aquatic grasses that, that root down into the shallow shorebeds of uh, slow-flowing rivers and lakes and other bodies of fresh water, including artificial agricultural paddies. And then these plants will grow tall stalks, uh, some two meters or six plus feet above the waterline with these uh, long, narrow leaves and, and, and loose clusters of little uh, uh, white to purple flowers that, when pollinated, will develop long, narrow seeds with dark skins and fibrous hulls. Um, you roast them dry, hull the seeds, and then can keep them and reconstitute them by cooking in liquid until they are soft and fluffy. 
at that point, they are used in all the tasty ways that grains are used uh, to make sweet or savory porridges or puddings, to thicken soups and stews, to make pilafs um, puffed out into crunchy snacks, or uh, to make flour that can be cooked up in cakes or other pastries. In some cultures, uh, like the Ojibwe people around the Great Lakes, it's also used medicinally um, as a part of poultices, for example, and ceremonially um, as an offering in, uh, in things like funerals. One species in the genus is now native to China. Um, it's grown in South China and used there more for its stem, um, peeled as a vegetable, uh, which is, I've heard, crisp and a little bit sweet, sort of like bamboo shoots, um, mm. more, more than a vegetable as a grain. Um, but you can also eat other species this way, but I don't think that that's common, particularly. Huh. Yeah, I know, Interesting. right? Interesting. <laughs> yes. Well, what about the nutrition? Uh, it can range a little bit, but wild rice is a good source of carbohydrates and protein, much more protein than brown rice, for example. Um, it's got a good smattering of micronutrients. It's low in fat, um, so it will fill you up and help keep you going, but you should probably pair it with like a little bit more fat and, you know, like eat a vegetable. Always, always. Always, always. <laughs> yes. We do have some numbers for you. Uh-huh. California and Minnesota are the top growers of wild rice. In 1977, Minnesota named wild rice their official state grain. Mm -hmm. um, and it is grown in a few other places around the world. I think uh, Hungary, Australia, and New Zealand. And apparently it's invasive in New Zealand. About four to 5,000 people participate in the hand harvesting of wild rice each year. In Minnesota, there are some 64,000 acres of wild rice growing naturally in some 2,000 lakes and rivers. And um, on a good day, with a good pair of harvesters or, or ricers working together, you can harvest some 250 kilos or uh, 550 pounds. However, um, today, about 95% of what's produced is from cultivated fields. Yes, and there is quite a bit of history about how we have arrived at this point. Absolutely. And uh, we are going to get into that history as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. 
They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian. Premium cocktails on demand. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, wild rice is native to North America, where it mainly grows in the Great Lakes region and has been eaten by people there since prehistoric times. Yeah, uh, and the plant is thought to have been there before the people by about a millennium or so. It's actually really interesting ongoing research because apparently the um, the pollen from wild rice species uh, has not kept up in the fossil record the same way that other types of pollen has. So they've had to like like create new ways of detecting it. Really cool stuff. Um, Anyway, yes, uh, uh, it's also thought that the species uh, now found in China propagated there from North America. Ooh, that is fascinating. Yeah. Love it. 
Wild rice was a staple for several Native American tribes, especially the Ojibwe, Menominee, and Cree, where it was frequently eaten with squash, corn, beans, maybe some meat, maybe some maple sugar, or also used as a soup thickener. When European fur traders arrived in this area, indigenous peoples introduced them to wild rice, and it was called all kinds of things, though wild rice is the name that stuck. The harvesting of wild rice was labor-intensive, so while some indigenous folks traded it with Europeans, most harvested just enough for their families or traded it with other tribes. Um, Before the Europeans arrived, women typically harvested the rice, but men became fully involved in the 1930s. Uh, The traditional process is now encoded in law in Minnesota, um, and it involves canoeing out through the grasses in pairs, uh, one person doing the poling and one the threshing, uh, gently uh, using using these two poles to to just knock the seeds off the stalks into the canoe. Um, And the uh, preservation process of drying and hulling is also labor-intensive, involving low and slow roasting and hand hulling. And wild rice is so culturally important to the Ojibwe that it is involved in the story of how they arrived in Minnesota in the 1600s. As the story goes, they followed a vision telling them to search for a home, quote, where the food floats on water. When they found the wild rice growing in Minnesota, they knew they'd found the place to settle. They named wild rice a word that meant good berry, harvesting berry, or wondrous grain, and it is grammatically referred to as him or her rather than it in the language. Uh, their word for it is monomen. And there's also a story in Anishinaabeg oral history, um, uh, the Anishinaabeg being a, a larger group of peoples, including the Ojibwe, that tells of a, a hunter coming home empty-handed one day and discovering a duck sitting on the edge of his kettle. And the duck flies away, but the soup of wild rice that the hunter finds in the kettle was the best food he'd ever had. So um, so, so after he ate, he followed after the duck and uh, found a lake growing with wild rice. Um, and uh, the duck is not a random duck. Uh, ducks and other waterfowl do also eat wild rice. So it all fits together. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Random duck or <laughs> not random duck. <laughs> Between the Seven Years' War and the end of the Napoleonic era, wild rice became the subject of study and investigation in North America and Europe. Europeans believed that it might be the next big thing for them due to a variety of conflicts, natural disasters, and loss of U.S. exports. However, the Europeans could never quite figure out how to domesticate it and eventually gave up. But there are several research papers on this alone, um, which I found really interesting. In 1837, the Treaty of Mendota claimed Ojibwe land for the U.S. government. And this began a long history of disrupting their foodways and culture. In 1854, the first reservations were established with the promise of food rations and traditional food systems were restricted. Up until 1965 in the U.S., most wild rice was produced naturally, though there had been a few efforts prior to grow it as a field crop, According to the written record, the first instance of this took place in 1852 with Joseph Bowen from Wisconsin, and he suggested giving giving this idea a shot. Um, Minnesota man Oliver H. Kelly suggested the same a year later in 1853. Despite this, people didn't seriously attempt growing wild rice as a field crop here in the U.S. until 1950, and I know it's mostly in the U.S., but you never know. I, I didn't run across any other instance 
but <laughs> this is yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Canada can be involved as well. So yeah, yes. James and Gerald Godward out of Minnesota were some of the first to give growing wild rice a go um, that year in 1950. And by 1958, they had 120 acres of patties dedicated to growing wild rice. Others got in the business too, including Uncle Ben in the 1960s. They offered their first wild rice products in 1961. The industry grew even further in the 60s and 70s with the development of shatter-resistant varieties. For example, production acreage dedicated to wild rice in Minnesota was 900 in 1968. In 1973, the number was 18,000 acres. Ooh. Yeah. California started commercially growing wild rice in 1977. Um, And yeah, before all of this, wild rice was traditionally harvested by hand, though mechanical harvesting on private lands was first documented in Canada in 1917. Um, and these shatter-resistant varieties allowed for more mechanical harvesting. Yeah, um, the the University of Minnesota's agricultural extension was working on all of this. Um, they would release nine different strains for cultivation from 1968 through the year 2000. Um, all bred to, in, in varying conditions, um, ripen simultaneously and withstand mechanical combine harvesting. Um, so by the mid-1980s, most of the supply of wild rice was, in fact, cultivated and commercial. Yes. And as more and more non-Native people started selling wild rice, it was appropriated and the meeting was muddied. A lot of stuff sold under the name wild rice um, was not and is not, in fact, wild rice. Um, white-owned patty rice companies centered in California were largely behind making wild rice a marketable product in the 70s. Yeah, and by the 80s, um, California was producing three times as much as Minnesota. And this drove up the price. Because of this, Native peoples and non-Native peoples flocked to harvest it, often too early or taking too much before the rice could reseed itself. Yeah, most species are annuals, not perennials, so they need to um, to reseed, to replant themselves every year. And part of the traditional harvesting method, the threshing, um, allows for a, a, a certain number of seeds, a good number of seeds, to fall down into the water where they can um, uh, uh, later germinate. Right. And another issue was that sometimes seed varieties from other waterways were planted in their place, erasing historic strains. The University of Minnesota created a strain with a thicker stem that could withstand mechanical harvesting, and this strain cross-pollinated with native ones as well. Furthermore, uh, the changes made to the land in order to cultivate wild rice in paddies, uh, you know, the, 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 the dams and diversion of waterways, the agricultural runoff, harmed the local ecosystems, making traditional harvests more difficult. The decimation of the crop had a huge impact on this source of income for local tribes. And going back even further, colonial forces fundamentally changed traditional Native American foodways, including how wild rice was harvested when it comes to things like, yes, land loss, establishment of reservations, dependence on government food and payments, and poverty. Tribes like the Ojibwe still do traditional wild rice harvest in the face of all of this as part of the fight to preserve their cultural heritage and foodways. Mm-hmm. In the words of Logan Cloud, a member of the Ojibwe tribe, when we began to mechanize the parching, we started thinking in a colonized way. Processing rice became easier, but our lives did not get easier. 
If it weren't for the rice, Ojibwe culture wouldn't be here today. And if we lose it, we won't exist as a people for long. We'll be done, too. In 1939, the Minnesota legislature outlawed mechanical harvest and placed limits around when and how wild rice could be harvested. Later, they added to these laws, limiting the size of canoe and hours for ricing. Still, it was identified as an endangered food in the 1990s. On top of over-harvesting and lack of care when harvesting, things like climate change, dams, construction, and pollution have also had an impact on wild rice. And I did want to just put a note in here because I feel like we've talked about this a lot where um, it's always good to look at who the impetus behind making laws and who is involved. I'm not saying that these were wrong or bad, but sometimes something sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, hey, protect this natural resource. But I mean, it depends on how you go about that. Right. Exactly. So just like a little... Yeah, yeah. Right if there. you if you don't if you don't involve um, the people who know about that natural resource and whose lives its loss will affect, then um, you're you're not you're not doing the right work. Right, especially if uh, <laughs> you you as someone from the outside are kind of the cause of a lot the of cause it. of the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So just a little note about that. Native peoples have come together to combat all of this. In 1994, the Fond du Lac and Bois Fort bands came together to form the Wild Rice Restoration Plan for the St. Louis River Watershed with the goal of restoring and managing wild rice. Committees were formed to manage harvest and the White Earth Land Recovery Project, founded in 1989 by political activist and White Earth tribe member Winona LaDuc, started selling hand-harvested rice. They've organized ricing camps to teach traditional ricing methods, collaborated on things like native food sovereignty, and come together to protest the Enbridge Line 3 oil pipeline replacement project and Line 5 oil pipeline that could impact lands where wild rice is grown. Yeah, um, there is now a a consortium of representatives from the Ojibwe and from the University of Minnesota that meets regularly to talk about ethics and sensitivity regarding um, the research and the commerce and uh, uh, tribal culture and resources. And according to the University of of Minnesota, anyway, um, the indigenous people and traditions are are really leading the conversations um, and dictating the type and directions of research here. So that's... That's good. Finally. Yay. Yeah. Um, However, um, as with many edible plants, um, climate change is a threat to uh, naturally growing wild rice. Um, Winters in the region are warming, um, which is a problem because the seeds need freezing temperatures in order to germinate. Also, uh, water levels uh, being steady are important. If they're either too high or too shallow, the crop that year will fail. Um, uh, And it it is concerning. Um, on one reservation, yields have dropped from about 200 pounds of rice per family per year in the 1920s to less than 80 pounds um, today. Uh, that's like 90 kilos down to 35 kilos. So, Yeah, yeah. It's very concerning. Um, it's heartening to see these conversations happening, while also kind of oh, disappointing yeah. that it took forever. It took- <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's still so much um so much work that needs to be done and I'm glad that you know these were finally listening to <laughs> these tribes yeah. um who who have so much 
tradition and information and knowledge <laughs> about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, like, I mean, I kind of said this towards the top, but like, it's just such an important lesson, I think, that um, what Europeans, what like white Europeans traditionally considered to be cultivation is not the way that all of the people in the world um, grow their crops. And right. that, you know, these these food ways, these traditions are really amazing and really important. And just because they don't look like the way that, that you know, white people chose to raise their crops doesn't mean that it's not valid. And maybe you should just let people do what they're doing. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, and there, there really is so many um there really are so many resources out there about this which is great so yeah. if you if you want to learn more uh there's there's more out there for you and it's all interesting and definitely worth looking up yeah oh absolutely and um and a lot of a lot of places that um that you can go online and support uh these peoples and these cultures who are still producing in the traditional method and uh i yeah i, I like really want to do this because i really i have such a craving Yes, I know. for this food, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had, and I want it right now. I do, too. I do, too. <laughs> Let's see if we can make it happen, Lauren. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, in the meantime, wish us luck, listeners. But that's what we have to say about wild rice for now. It is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's Nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Home sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, 
and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian. Premium cocktails on demand. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener, Listener Mail. Like a leaf floating to the ground. Oh. Fall in a bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to capture. <laughs> Hard to capture via short <laughs> Skype interface. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I think something happened there. I, 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 I was like, maybe it's the waving of the grass. I'm not sure. <laughs> it could have been anything. To I was be going, honest. I was, I was going with you a little bit. Some, okay. Some, somewhere right. near you. Uh, that's good enough. That's good enough. <laughs> um, Kiana or maybe Kiana wrote, so I'm from Western Canada, and I think poutine culture is way different on this side of the country than the east side, a.k.a. Quebec, Ontario. In Alberta, if you were to call it poutine, most people would look at you as if you had grown an extra head. <laughs> it's only ever said as poutine here. That being said, my best friend's husband is from Ontario. He was horrified when we called it poutine as opposed to the correct way of poutine. <laughs> also, if you order poutine from Burger King... You are very desperate. (laughs) (laughs) It barely counts as poutine, in my opinion. Anyways, poutine aside, Halloween food. Oh, yay. I had my Halloween party this year, as I do every year, although there were some COVID restrictions. But there is no way a little COVID could stop me. Don't worry, all my restrictions were followed and things were adjusted accordingly. For this year's food adventure, I had several things on the menu. I had deviled eggs piped to look like brains, hot dogs cut to look like fingers and cooked in cayenne brown sugar glaze, peanut butter balls in the shape of ghost, a spider egg nest made of black croquembouche and spun sugar webs, 
squares of sugar cookie dough topped with cinnamon toast crunch cereal, marshmallows, <laughs> peanut butter, and candy corn, soul pies made of mulberries, goji berries, and local Saskatoon berries cooked in black tea, brown sugar, and cardamom, butter beer to drink, and pumpkin chocolate chip cake filled with pumpkin pie filling, iced with brown butter buttercream, and decorated to look like a jack-o'-lantern with homemade modeling chocolate. Ooh. Yes. I've also attached a picture of my handmade costume for this year. I was a forest fairy, and my four cats were my mini fairy minions. <laughs> In an entertaining series of events, I was also gifted a party hosting gift. It was a pineapple. Ah! Yeah! My guests have heard my rant about pineapple facts, courtesy of you from an early podcast episode, and one of them put a reminder in their phone to bring me a pineapple this year. Oh, my goodness. I carried it all night long to show my wealthy status. (laughs) (laughs) One of my kittens also enjoyed it. Oh, my heck. That is, A, so much more kitchen work than I think I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sounds amazing, but yes. Right? Oh, mm-hmm. heck. That that all sounds really, really, really beautiful. Yes. Um, and pictures were sent. Looked amazing. I bet it was so, so fun. So delicious. I love that your friends gave you a pineapple that is top-notch. <laughs> that you carried it around all night as is appropriate. As is only appropriate. <laughs> yes. Yes, and just a um, a thank you to everyone who wrote in about poutine. Uh, We got another letter coming up, but I'm loving all of these notes (laughs) about poutine and the pronunciation of poutine. It's so good. (laughs) Yeah, yes, it's definitely, it's... (laughs) It's it's amazing and also like a little slice of of exactly why we stress out about pronunciations all the time because we're like, oh yes. man, we're just not gonna get it. We're just never gonna get it right. Mm-hmm. Um because there's regional pronunciations for things. Exactly. And exactly. micro regional and uh, yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Goodness. Um <laughs> yes, speaking of Adam wrote. I just listened to your episode on poutine and thought you might appreciate some insight and clarification from a born and bred Canadian. Full disclosure, I am not Quebecoise, but I promise I know my poutine. Firstly, on pronunciation, poutine is correct. Poutine is a French-Canadian slang for prostitute and used in the same way an English speaker would use the S or F words. Um, You'll be met with anything from giggles to death stares if you pronounce it that way, especially in Quebec. Poutine is also widely accepted outside of Quebec, they're real purists, Uh, though you'll have to be careful with this too, as it can be construed in Spanish as small gay man, and may be, again, met with giggles. On the subject of disco fries, while I have never heard this term before, every Canadian will definitely agree that it is not poutine. I cannot begin to describe the feeling of disappointment when I order a poutine at a new restaurant, only to be given a plate of fries and gravy with shredded cheese. The absolute horror. Will I eat it anyway? Absolutely, but it is not poutine. Some (laughs) people, though, are not as easygoing as I am. I'll never forget one of my first shifts working at Salisbury House, a a local chain of Greasy Spoon Diners in Winnipeg. Um, I had barely been serving there a week when word came down that we were switching from using cheese curds for our poutine to the more affordable shredded cheese. I was young and stupid. Uh, This was way more years ago than I'd care to admit, so I did not think it necessary to warn customers of the change if they ordered one. 
a table of six, ordered three to share. When I brought them out, they said, what the F is this, before refusing to pay and walking out. This is an extreme example, but the fact remains that people were upset. Over the next few weeks, we received many letters and emails demanding that we switch back to Kurds, but we never did. Some people just don't respect the sanctity of the poutine. To close, here's my ranking of all of the fast food chain poutines, and yes, every fast food joint up here serves it. One, Wendy's, the best, especially with bacon. Two, Popeye's. Popeye's has poutine? Okay, that's great. Um, uh, <laughs> three, A&W. Four, Burger King. Five, KFC. And six, McDonald's. Trash, but scratches the itch. I love this. Oh, I love it. I love it. We have so many more letters to read. I kid you not. Someone oh. else did like a very similar ranking. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm so delighted by all of this. I, you yes. know, I mean, I mean, to be fair, like I have a personal ranking of like French fries at fast food places. Oh, so there's sure. no reason why you shouldn't have a ranking for poutine at fast food places. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we love hearing these rankings. Um, they're very, yeah. very delightful. Um, also, people have written in about disco fries, which we're going to oh, get great. to soon as well. <laughs> good, good. Important. <laughs> yes. But people, yeah, the shredded cheese mm, <laughs> <laughs> seems to cause some <laughs> consternation. If I were expecting cheese curds and I got shredded cheese, I would also yeah. be like, yeah, like what? No. <laughs> What? No. Right. <laughs> no. Just no. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm 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 surprised they didn't change back. That's mm. Yeah, right? Right. Like it sounds like there was like a lot of public pressure. It does. It does. Uh and also, yeah. Thanks for the pronunciation notes. Um mm-hmm. and giving us more Reasons to fear mispronouncing it. <laughs> I do appreciate it. But now I'm even more nervous than before. <laughs> Yay? I, yeah. We're learning? We're learning. <laughs> to fear? Yeah, we like horror movies. Yeah, we like scary sure. stuff. <laughs> like to live on the edge over oh, here. I'll save her. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can or email us hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust 
into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.